0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to uh, an HFS podcast. I'm Phil First, the CEO and Chief Analyst. And today I'm joined um, by a couple of colleagues in the industry um, from IBM, of all places, who are going to join with me in a conversation around the importance of native automation in the in the environment that we're in. And uh, these two folks, uh, Tom Ivory, who's the uh, global automation head for IBM Global Business Services, and Dharania Khalaf, who's a director at the IBM Research Labs, uh, specializing in leading a lot of their initiatives in, in AI and runtime. Uh, so so hi, Tom. And hi, Rania. If you could just briefly give us a quick intro.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I'll start. Yeah, thanks, Phil, for hosting us. And uh, uh, thank you to the HFS audience. I'm glad to be with everyone today. Uh, I am the vice president, senior partner for IBM automation and global business services. And I've got global responsibilities to Uh, develop automation AI powered automation capabilities and bring them to all of our services engagements including on the hybrid cloud application or IT side of the house as well as our business process BPO and business process reengineering side of the house so uh, look forward to the discussion today and uh, talk about the new mindset, you know, and how automation can um, help with growth and all of that at our customer. Excellent. Thanks. I'm Rania.
2: So I'm Rania Khalaf, I'm the Director of AI Platforms and Runtimes at IBM Research. I run a global research strategy on artificial intelligence for automation and how to infuse AI into automation to uh, make it better, faster, and safer.
0: Okay, wonderful. So, you know, let's start with you, Tom. We've heard a lot about different types and flavors of automation in recent years, uh, but something you guys have been talking about lately is extreme automation, you know, maybe a mindset shift that you're seeing in the market. Could you, like, you know, uh, elaborate a bit more on what you mean by extreme?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely, Phil. Um, you know, and before I get into defining extreme, I think it is worth visiting the, the different flavors, as you mentioned, right? I mean, the way that I see it and IBM views the world of automation is this journey we've been on since about 2010 we've been you know obviously automating a lot of workloads across corporations for a very long time but in 2010 that's when in this last decade we've seen the automation of workflows through scripting attended and unattended automation Uh, looking at manual task automation, right? And then around 2017, 2018, entered this uh, new era of intelligent automation, right? This is where we saw an explosion of innovative technologies out there, uh, the maturity of OCR, optical character recognition, natural language processing, analytics, engines, robotic process automation. Then we looked at tackling more complex use cases, right? It wasn't just task automation. We started looking at, how we can do more complicated workflows and integrating all of these new intelligent or AI-based automations. And we were well on that journey, but as we all know, 2020 was a year unlike any other, right? And around uh, March of 2020, our IBM leadership was asked by analysts and advisors like you and our client leadership teams What are going to be the changes that unfold and how are you going to address these unprecedented needs that are going to occur in the market? And so at that time, our leadership adopted this mindset where there are going to be a number of changes. One, we're going to have this hyper acceleration journey to the cloud, which has proven to be true, um, as everybody knows. Two, we're going to have a rewiring of supply chains because of the disruption and the volatility in the markets and moving goods and services uh, from one point to another. That required you know, a re-engineering you know, of supply chain processes, and that's been proven to tr- be true and is a work in progress as we speak. Three, this notion of extreme automation. And so what we meant by that is that it was going to be pervasive, and native and a new burning platform, an urgent need for us to pivot uh, to automating. Like I said earlier in my intro, everywhere and anywhere we possibly can automate. And, uh, and what we mean by that is a couple of things, you know, one it's across business and IT. So it's, you know, on the full stack of the enterprise from your hybrid cloud infrastructure, through your applications, through your data, your business processes with the ultimate goal to transform all of the workflows on top of that. That could be workflows in finance, workflows in supply chain, workflows in procurement, workflows in IT, but that's the end game. And there are four dimensions, you know, to all of that, as we see, there's process, talent, technology, and data, right? And in all four of those dimensions, there is a next generation of where automation can be applied. You know, in process, as I mentioned, it used to be task automation. Now we're, Moving to automating complex workflows. And talent, it's a hybrid environment between digital workers and automated solutions and a human workforce and the change management that's responsible for that, right? And the technology, it's this coalescence, this convergence of AI powered automation with analytics, data, and digital assistance all coming together to be integrated. And then with the data, you know, it's using. AI to serve as a microscope to see where you can automate using technologies like process mining, process intelligence-based technologies, and then the ongoing optimization over that over time. So it's, it's quite a shift in a mindset that we're, that we're seeing in the market to go to this native extreme automation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, the toolbox emerging that we're seeing a lot of enterprises uh, adopting. Um, But what do you think is happening now that might be different from before we went through a cataclysmic change to ourselves? Do you see something different emerging with the clients that you talk to?
1: Yeah, I do. Um, You know, a few things I I would say, we've been talking about scale for for a while, even before, uh, you know, the pandemic, but I see the need for scale to an even greater extent now, right? I mean, especially pivoting to a virtual digital world, there needs to be a mechanism for governance, and streamlining collaboration and transparency for automation initiatives in a digital format. What we used to do in workshops, in conference rooms, and sticky notes, you know, in design thinking, we had to pivot very rapidly to do that in a virtual environment. So we spent a good portion of the mid part of 2020, taking all of our governance frameworks, our CEOE models, and making them all virtual and digital. And so now that's been you know, rolled out and clients now can scale, you know, in this virtual world. I'll say too. since there's been a hyper acceleration to the cloud, we've seen much more of a focus and emphasis now on automating in a hybrid cloud environment. I think the emphasis prior to the pandemic was very business process focused, you know, automate my finance and accounting tasks and processes, my procurement and HR, and then maybe focus on some industry processes. But over the last three, four months, the shift and emphasis to IT workflows in a hybrid cloud environment has soared. It, it has gone exponential and I, can, I see that trend continuing because when you have a heterogeneous environment uh, with all of these different public clouds and on-prem infrastructure environments, um, as well as moving to SaaS-based applications like the Salesforce's Workdays and ServiceNows, uh, this heterogeneous environment you know, creates more complexity and a solution and an answer to that, you know, requires automation, which is another form of integration, essentially.
0: Yeah. As there's a lot more cloud activity going on, I mean, one thing I'm hearing a lot of is there's so much more standardization, you know, security protocols, programming, etc. That you've almost got the CIO community, maybe even a level down from the CIO, getting much more into understanding business context than they've ever had. Because this is more about applying a scalable, agile infrastructure and capability to the business needs of the of the business side. And on the, on, on the flip side, we've got the um, non-IT executives having to redesign process to operate effectively in this environment, and they need to understand uh, the options that they have. Um, and I'm seeing a, a real coming together of, of technology and business that we haven't seen in decades. Is that something you're seeing consistent uh, at IBM, you know, with particularly some of your, your traditional clients?
1: We are, yeah, you know, and I can use some very specific examples in terms of where in our business, you know, with our SAP business, as an example, as they shift to the cloud, you know, and embrace S4 HANA, there's a big emphasis on incorporating business processes and workflows and business KPIs, you know, on top of the IT shift to the cloud. So this this combined effort of overlaying business KPIs and workflows with traditional IT or application modernization is is a big conversation theme right now with our customers. We don't see on a daily basis just IT initiatives that that don't involve some sort of business scope to them, right? There's a transformation aspect with them now where they want to bring innovation to, like I was saying before, their supply chain organization with the burning need you know, to rewire their supply chain processes and operations. So there, there is more of a, a you know, of a combination between IT and business than um, than we've seen in the past. And an automation, I feel, is a, is a driving engine to bring that together. Fantastic. Yeah.
0: And I think we'll talk to Rani very shortly about some of the innovations that, that she's been working on. But I think one of the things I did want to hear a bit more about, Tom, is this fairly rapid shift in, in narrative that we've had in, in recent months from, you know, you need an API for this, you need RPA for that, to a much more strategic mindset, which is, you know, what data do we need? That's the strategy. The automation piece isn't really a strategy. It's the ability to run redesign processes in the cloud because you can't do it if you you haven't automated them. And then once you're running them in the cloud, you can then run AI off them to be far smarter about how you get predictive data, how you can look forward, how you can be more self remediating and and, and how you can orchestrate more effectively. I feel that conversation has moved rapidly, but then I may be talking to an audience that is biased in that direction. Do you feel the conversation has shifted heavily and maybe some of the hype of the past has really dissipated?
1: Yeah, no, I think I think the shift to data is a massive one right now, right? And the things that come to mind and and you know, and it will be it, when we bring Ronnie into the conversation. I mean, this is an interesting link between the services, software and research arms of IBM in order for us to drive, you know, AI-powered automation and business outcomes to our clients because the IBM research team is a, an incredible source of innovation for us that we've relied upon, you know, and one example of that is our process discovery accelerator tool, right? Uh, There are a lot of tools out of the market for you to do process intelligence, but this was a phenomenal way for us to equip our consultants with something to be ready as they go out to the field and work with our clients on mining and looking at clickstream data, log files, the desktop procedures, and quickly analyze what would make a good process for automation. Rather than wasting a lot of time um, and effort, we can get Right down to it and say, okay, we've isolated, you know, these 50 processes that are bogging you down and really manual. Let's get to it. That that data is incredibly important for us to be able to move quickly with our clients because they want to go fast. Right. Uh, and the second thing I'd say this corpus of data that we're leveraging, you know, through, th- through initiatives like AIOps, right. We, we made an announcement in the last couple of months with Watson AIOps. And so my services team is using this now as an integral uh, solution for us to take data, whether that be from you know tools like Slack or Box, and rather than waiting for a manual chronological event coming from a ticketing system to trigger an action that you need to take, it's leveraging data for you to rapidly autonomously automate these processes. So that way you can keep systems up, they're preventing outages or solving you know cybersecurity issues right now. And uh, that's really important as you move to the cloud, knowing you adopt a hybrid cloud environment. So the data you know, is um, a secret sauce that we're providing in terms of you know, how we're building out our automation solutions. Thank you, that's excellent, Tom. So,
0: so, so Rania, it'd be great to hear a bit more about your research agenda and a little bit about how that's evolving. How, how does that work with the client base at IBM and maybe the client base that IBM's looking to evolve to in the future?
2: So first, I just wanted to say a few words about IBM Research for those that aren't really familiar with it. So it's a 75-year-old organization with about 3,000 researchers around the globe in multiple labs. And you know we have several um, Nobel Award winners and uh, Turing Award winners and so on for creating some of the seminal technology, not only in computing, but also in physics, semiconductors and so on. So it's really a wonderful place. Uh, My team itself is a mix of engineers, research scientists, and designers that are really focusing on how to make AI faster, more efficient, and safer, and really how you can use it, not only looking at the models themselves, but in how you can do that at the application level and with a big focus on automation and both business and IT processes. As Tom mentioned, we're seeing a lot of uh, focus on connecting the IT and business layers together and looking at IT processes also from a KPI and outcomes data-driven lens. So um, here we have a focus in our research to look at shifts that we are seeing in automation to make them more data-driven and goal-oriented. By that, we mean that we want to look at what people are trying to accomplish and see how much of the behavior that you want can be created for you or adapted based on what the users are trying to do and lower how much work it is, how much development costs and so on is needed in order to create these automation application and adapt them. Like we're seeing now, for example, with COVID, a lot of business operations had to shift and replacing your business processes, modifying them is very time consuming and brittle. So we really look at how we can add some flexibility based on what you want your outcomes to be and have the systems underneath be more adaptive and more responsive based on how they combine the pieces together. So there we really look at this space in three lenses. First, we look at the process knowledge for AI. So how do I understand the world? And here we have a lot of focus on extracting knowledge from documents. So uh, for example, a lot of the work on content extraction from documents has been on consumer data. But what we see in enterprises, the type of data looks different. So some of these big AI models, you know, they don't do so well. Uh, they're trained on cats and dogs and the things like this. But what we have is pictures of ID cards, sensitive data, invoices, and so on. So we are doing some very exciting work around improving this kind of uh, knowledge extraction from this data that may have pictures in the background, holograms, um, really focused to the business needs where you need some understanding of the domain. And once you do that, now you have an understanding of what's in your documents. We look at how can I look at the historical data and the live data to both... um, find automation opportunities, improve my outcomes, redesign my processes. This goes back to some of the work Tom mentioned around mining and discovery. But then once you've done that, you can also use that live at runtime for monitoring purposes. So here we also look at techniques for KPI drift for decision recommendation and giving you kind of real-time insight to improve the actions that you can take. So, once we've extracted the knowledge that we need out of the documents, we're able to monitor and improve the, the processes that are going on. We then really look at the hyper-automation space and these hybrid workforces. So what we see is that there's a plethora of uh, now, you know, bots, RPAs, different automation services that can do different pieces of your business process creating end-to-end application with those by hand today with scripts and code is is brittle and hard-coded. And we see that as people wanna interact more dynamically with the systems, have their employees work with them, we are really looking at how to make that a lot more flexible and dynamic so that you can go to a more hybrid workforce. And here our focus specifically has been on, if you think of having the different automation pieces as services or APIs, uh, we give a little bit of more information about them to be able to compose them as much as possible also on the fly. So we can decide the sequence of actions to take based on what the user is uh, doing with the system or uh, based on the context that is there. And we have a nice integration for that with natural language and conversational systems. So here we see this as an evolution of, you know, business processes from workflow-based case management which was a lot more people-centric knowledge worker-based and event-centric to um, something that's a lot more dynamic real-time and responsive to what the humans are doing with the systems to kick off the right automations at the right time right
0: so there's been a lot of talk around you sort of mentioned digital assistants and I know um, Watson's developed some very interesting and impressive solutions in this space they're not talked about as much in the commercial markets as of yet. We hear them from you know bits and pieces, really. The focus has been a little bit more on the back office, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have become a lot more prevalent, obviously, in this market than the need for a real, what we call human augmentation in the workplace. How do you see that evolving? You know, you've done, I know you're at the cutting edge of this. How advanced is some of the technology here? And what is the gap between maybe what companies have today and their ability to adopt these. Mm-hmm.
2: So we see quite a few trends in the assistance space. And there are areas that are really focused on these dialogue systems uh, that are focused on different domains. Where maybe a lot of the value is in the knowledge they have about that particular domain. And then there's the more AI-centric solutions that are really very focused on a more natural human interaction, better dialogue, better natural language interactions to extract uh, information from different documents to better customer service. We also see a trend now, for example, in the RPA vendors to add a little bit of dialogue on top of their, in front of their RPAs, but we see that as being... um, quite brittle still, but it does give you a bit of a layer of human interaction. So we see this at different avenues, right? The more ai centric folks are really driving with a, a big focus on natural language interaction, more dynamic behavior, and the folks coming like from more the business process side adding a little bit of uh, the dialogue capability, uh, even very simplistic ways just to give you a, a way in. And I think these things are going to start intersecting each other. We focus a lot in our research work. We work very closely with the Watson assistant team and the automation team, because what we really see as quite exciting is connecting the these types of assistants, multiple of them to your workforce uh, more dynamically and unlocking the value that is in your automation services. So now you can, you know, approve a travel request or process a loan approval or check on you know, inquire about uh, the state of your process, how it's going. Uh, We are developing some capability around natural language query. So we can go from a, you know, a a natural language sentence, a query on structured data, for example. And I really think this kind of connect between the, you know, single user, single agent, like a lot of the dialogue systems are going after to something that is really helping you automate and orchestrate your automation services the interaction of your workers with your systems and so on where then these assistants become like a piece of the puzzle to help you solve your end-to-end business uh, goals
0: right and um, you talk a bit about flexibility of workflow and and how interactive these are i think that's a very key point uh, we look at obviously the the stack that companies are developing that can be more nimble. It's easier to make changes on the fly. It's easier to do that. But I also see this as a huge challenge. So so when you when you start to look at what some enterprises are doing and the workflow is not is not flexible enough. I mean how, how do you break that down more and get them into a more flexible mindset where they can start to design and deliver on the fly?
2: Uh, I think this is also a, a great point of how we work with the a- Teams, for example, in our services arm like Tom's, where yeah. we do garages and different workshops with clients, you know, led by the services teams, um, we are bringing more of the algorithmic side of things and helping figure out how you, you know, you do the APIs, what kind of metadata we would need for the algorithms to work. We also um, I agree with you completely. It's it's definitely a mindset. I think the mindset's really important, right? One example was when DevOps came around and people were saying, you know, just because you use GitHub and Jenkins doesn't mean you're not still doing waterfall, right? (laughs) Not enough to use the tools. You have to think differently, work differently. It's, It's process and technology. And that's where this partnership with services is so great because it allows us to Work with our clients, improve uh, and design, develop the algorithms together, and then you know either they stay as services assets or we work with our software counterparts to promote those up into the product, so they become part and parcel of the IBM software offering. So that's right. how we see this continuum, you know, this pipeline of innovation from the labs uh, where we are sitting, um, collaborating with teams in services like Palms, and back to the the software uh, products that IBM has to offer. And sometimes we are research, so we are in a privileged position of being allowed to fail. So we can try different things. We can experiment and explore and you know, it's not always going to work, but that allows us to be a lot more bold and and daring and, and, and try things that, you know, we can explore and experiment with and see see how that does and where we can get measurable improvements in the market.
0: Yeah. I mean you know, we, we had a conversation recently with um, Ed Lynch, who's in your uh, software group, right, who uh, was highlighting one of the big barriers they were finding, particularly in the current environment, is is this perception of AI being a little spooky. It's being kind of people feel uncomfortable more than ever sharing data with various types of applications and services. Um, is that is that exacerbating? Is that getting worse? Or, or do you feel that people are getting smarter about how they operate? And what's your, what's your kind of approach here in general?
2: Yeah, so I'll say a bit from the research side, and maybe Tom can chime in as well for, for the rest of the company.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I think uh, one interesting point is I gave a guest lecture at MIT Sloan, like right after the big Facebook breach. And I was explaining how IBM and its culture, we are very careful with people's data and our customers' data and so on. So for us, the AI researchers, in a sense, it was a little frustrating because um, people were using all these public data sets to do all this research, but a lot of them had constraints. So our lawyers were very um, <laughs> adamant that you know we had to really clear uh, serious hurdles before we could do anything with anyone's data. And I think that permeates into, um, the whole approach. However, without data in AI, you're a bit stuck in the mud. So I think this is where in IBM, we really uh, work very hard to do this balance of how do we use data responsibly. Uh, we have a lot of processes in place and things like this. Also, we have a very large trusted AI research effort that is uh, in research partnered with the Watson Group. So half of my team nearly works in that space. And this is about how we can build trust into the core of our AI platform. So when the data is acquired and analyzed, we can do bias checking. We can do remediation. When the model is built, even when it's running, we monitor it and we can see if it's uh, even at runtime, maybe misbehaving or starting to um, violate some some of these trust constraints around um, bias, security, um, and so on. So that is one way, you know, that that IBM is really looking to build trust into the core of its platforms and allow reporting and checks and balances in place. And finally, just um, to mention, I think one approach that I like in what we're doing on the orchestration domain to add more flexibility is what we were seeing, you know, a lot of the time when you needed that flexibility, people leave the systems and go into email, Excel, blah, blah, and then... It's the wild west. So just because it's not in your monitored process doesn't mean it's not being done willy-nilly, right? So I think right. doing it through a system that enables the, the flexibility lets you still audit and check and do, do compliance and things like that, uh, which I think is, is quite valuable in enterprise setting where compliance is, is important.
0: Yeah, no, it's increasingly so. It's increasingly so. Um,
1: yeah. And I can add to that, Phil, you know, from a services perspective with regards to trust uh, think Ronnie, had, you know, picked up on a big theme that I'm consistently seeing now trust in automation. In fact, I delivered a, a, a webinar to um, uh, the, uh, one of the police forces in the UK recently where they were uh, talking about trust, um, you know, in terms of embracing AI powered automation Um, and how that would affect uh, the data within, you know, their police force. And another example in the U.S. is a client, the Department of Veterans Affairs, right? And for those not in the U.S., not familiar with this government agency, this is for all of our military veterans who, um, you know, receive benefits uh, for life or insurance, um, you know, uh, benefits, uh, employment um, types of benefits. Uh, They had a horrific. Uh, customer service operation for for years, and a couple of years ago, they embarked on a transformation um, to really help their their benefits. You know, it was a patriotic you know uh, journey that they went down to say, look, you know, we got to serve these veterans better. They deserve better, um, and so they looked at IBM. And I think you know IBM has been known for a long time for this trust factor with clients. We're you know relied upon by government agencies around the world, uh, you know, by financial institutions to run mission critical processes, right? Uh, and so these newer you know these new emerging areas like automation and AI uh, blockchain uh, we need to make sure that we adhere to the expectations that our customers have for i b m you know and the brand that we have and when it when it comes to you know an opportunity like at the Veterans Affairs administration, we go in with a blank canvas right we don 't come in there with all these tools and say, okay, we've got these bells and whistles and these technologies. We sit down with them and say, what do you want to achieve? You know, what are your goals and how do you want to measure, uh, the transformation of your customer experience with these veterans, uh, and therefore map out, you know, the workflow and how these processes will be transformed and so on. And then we bring in, you know, the technology and in this situation, we have a wide variety you know, of technologies that we've brought in. It's very public that we use Blue Prism for robotic process automation there. But then we also use IBM software, you know, for the process discovery accelerator, uh, for uh, BPM and case management. We have a lot of other third-party tools as well. So our job as the services arm, you know, is to put the pieces of the puzzle together, like Rania said, right? You know, and uh, and and we have, I think, um, you know, really this good source of innovation, like I said before, with IBM Research to bring, uh, these leading edge capabilities that these labs around the world, you know, under Rania's direction are uh, providing technology capabilities that we can't find elsewhere right now. So we can bring some different innovative ways, you know, to shape the outcomes for our cl- customers like we did at the VA.
0: You know, we're talking about native automation, extreme automation, whatever we want to call it, automation. Ultimately, it is a mindset and it's it's getting people to think a little bit more about moving things in the cloud, you have to think much more about workflows, much more about driving those workflows to drive the outcomes you you need to get to. But ultimately it's a mindset shift and I think that's been the biggest challenge of our industry the last two or three decades has been getting over that and and thinking differently. Um, Do you feel that's generally happening or it's still a lot of talk and maybe not a lot of action? Or do you think there's generally been a, a shift in that direction in the last maybe year? As, as we've experienced what we've, ha- what we've, what we've
1: gone through. Yeah, I, I definitely think there's a mindset. I think, you know, so when you came out with your, um, you know, one office new technology platform and used the word native, that definitely struck a chord with me and my team who have been constructing this new framework around extreme automation, right? I think there's a lot of, um, you know, similarities. There's, there's a common um, goal there to bring automation and AI powered automation pervasively, you know, to all corners of our clients' organization, right? So that mindset um, I see now. You know, be, I'll tell you. I mean, you know, I, I've been immersed in this automation world for a while now, and I, over and over again, you know, I saw the focus just on task automation and using RPA, and not stretching to the limits of what automation capabilities were out there in the market, but, but now I see our clients really adopting this new mindset of um, automating, you know, anywhere they can, uh, and, and they're looking at the success that they've had uh, with some of the basic process automation and saying, okay, now we want to use these algorithmic, you know, AI capabilities. Now we want to apply machine learning. And so the mindset I think is uh, thinking bigger, right, uh, thinking more confidently uh, but also, you know, pushing themselves to be less conservative, maybe you know, to say, okay, you know, if this is the, if there's any time to do anything and really experiment and uh, you know weave this into our natural corporate strategy, this is the time to do it. We're making leaps of faith to push all of our applications and infrastructure to the cloud. We should attempt to you know look at you know how we could use automation everywhere we can as well. But I'll also say they have to, right? You know, and we did a great report together, HFS and IBM several months ago, the have to haves, right? And so the have to haves in this report, and I encourage everyone, you know, to read this, really boils down to one thing with with the volatility and the disruption that our clients are all facing right now. They don't have the time and the luxury with limited resources, limited people, limited talent, um, to try to do this all analog and manually. I mean, you have to use automation in order to keep up and survive right now. There's just too many overwhelming things on the agenda right now. And automation is an answer for you to create more bandwidth for your organization. You don't have time to solve every IT incident with a human being and, you know, in a manual way. You have to start using automation to do this in order for you to stay afloat you know, in this new world that we're living in right now. Yeah,
0: it's pretty intense, that's, that's for sure. You know let's look out a bit further as we as we wind up this conversation and maybe rania you want to start um as you look at this whole automation evolution over the maybe the next three four years what are your predictions what do you what do you think is going to uh, truly happen uh, that in, in these next three or four years that's going to be notable
2: it's going to be a lot more hopefully data driven we're going to see a lot Uh, a focus on um, lowering the cost of development and enabling more of the line of business to get the automation created and done and up and running. I see also a lot of infusion of uh, artificial intelligence techniques, both hand ones like APIs, such as knowledge extraction from images and things like this, uh, existing natural language models, as well as uh, some intelligence into how the logic is executed and created.
0: Great. Tom, any, any predictions from, for, from your standpoint for enterprise automation?
1: Yeah, you know, I have a lot, but there's one that I really want to emphasize for this conversation is a massive uh, and rapid talent reskilling in the industry, right? I think um, we're gonna see over the next 12 months an evolution in the people that work for consulting firms, software companies, client organizations, make a transformation, make a change that we haven't seen in decades, right? I mean, hybrid cloud skills, AI skills, automation skills, blockchain skills, supply chain transformation skills. This is going to be, you know, a major movement. And we're going to look back, you know, over this time from 2020 to say, I don't know, 2023, 2024, as the time of change, the time, you know, of the new skills for the next, you know, 20, 30 years
0: absolutely i think this digital fluency as we call it is, is is really dominant and um you know i've had a lot of conversations with people uh, especially recently around this realization that we all work differently now that we all miss each other we talk to you know our business has survived very well off the relationships we had moving into covid and And um, at some point, you can't survive on those forever. You have to start building new ones and accepting the environment you're in. So people you may have seen 10 times a year, it's now twice a year or three times a year. Um, So interactions are different. Um, The way that we approach our job has to be different. and We have to accept things that we may not like anymore. I mean, people in sales complain that procurement is much more dominant now because of the automation pieces and the way things are I'm like well that means you need to spend more time with procurement people then doesn't it and and people in development now they um they judge much more on did it work or did it not work so th- this judgment on outcomes and, and and bigger things is really important and myself running a small small to medium business is I look much more at um bigger things now than than, than small things maybe in the past I used to get obsessed with minutiae now i'm much more looking at well are they doing the main things right are, are the main things right and if you keep your mindset on those smaller number of bigger metrics and bigger issues that seems to be where things are shifting and, and you think less about the uh, the way of the past um so i definitely think there's a a big mindset shift and as we evolve back to a more normalistic environment I was, uh, people are getting vaccinated and different rates and speeds but by the end of this year uh we'll probably all be touched with safe and operating in 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 a much more normal capacity now i think we'll never forget the the era the pandemic era we've just come through it really has been the game changer that we never knew was going to happen and happened and and um and the coming together of how we work together talk and exchange information and uh, and um, think about the future so um, I've really enjoyed this 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 conversation folks Tom and, and Rania and I look Thank forward you. to sharing this with everybody I'll, I'll dig out the report we we put together a few months ago as well and we'll we'll, we'll also tie that to this so we'll give that out too and and uh, look forward to catching up again soon Rania it's great to hear more about the labs at IBM and you know, seeing you guys over the years, you know, it'd be such a feature of the firm. So to see some of the work you're doing and it'd be really exciting to keep in touch as, as things continue to evolve. So um, wonderful experience hearing from you all and I look forward to the next one. Sure.
2: Thank you Thanks for having us, it was really yeah. great.
1: Thank you, this has been great, great discussion.